For today's bonus audio, we reached into the archives and grabbed a keynote I gave back in 2009 called The Jesus You Never Knew. From the outset, people have struggled to figure out who Jesus is. Even when he was walking the earth, people had different opinions about him. In John 7, we read that some people thought he was a good man, while others believed he was leading the people astray. Who is Jesus, and what difference does it make for you? I want to tell you guys how excited I am to be here because I truly believe that the things we're going to talk about over the next two, three days have the potential to change your life from here on out. And not only change your life, you may find this hard to believe. Yeah, good. Well, I did a little bit of math. Uh, at the time, Rusty told me that he thought there were going to be about 60 people. I'm from Kentucky. I think the number's closer to 70. But I'm not going to change my numbers because I had to work the math with a calculator. And uh, it's too late to do that. But if the average age in this room is 25, which is <laughs> probably pretty close, and there's 60 people in this room, and we live to the typical age of 80. Do you know how many years that represents just in this room? It's 3,300 years of life uh, that we can look forward to in this room. That's probably what we're anticipating as we move forward. Think about how many lives are going to be touched in those 3,300 years, just from the people who are in this room tonight. So uh, let's definitely have learner's hearts. Let's listen to what God wants to say to us through his scriptures about his son, uh, Jesus Christ. Because I think he's got some big things in, in store for us tonight and this weekend. I think uh, what I'd like to talk to you about is how to make your life count. A couple years ago I was reading to my kids. Let's see if this works. Is there an on button? Hey, thank you, Mr. Clapper. I like to read to my kids. It's one of the ways that we've just kind of connected over the years. I have four kids. You'll get to meet them here in a minute. But we were reading the book Alice in Wonderland, which is actually a pretty cool book. Seems like a, it is a kid's book, but it's pretty deep. And, of course, if you know anything about the story of Alice in Wonderland, she, she falls out of reality into this uh, alternative universe, Wonderland, and she spends the rest of the story trying to get back to, uh, to home. And she keeps asking all of these characters in the book how to get home. And here she is talking to the Cheshire Cat. And he's the only one who really gives her any kind of sensible answer in the whole book. Everyone else is talking gibberish. But Alice asks him, would you tell me please which way I ought to go from here? That depends a good deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. I don't much care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. So long as I get somewhere, Alice added as an explanation. Oh, you're sure to do that, said the cat, if you only walk long enough. Now all of us are going to get somewhere in life. Just the nature of life dictates that. All of us are on a journey. We're going somewhere. The only question is, is the journey that you're on worthy of the life that God has given to you? And so hopefully what will come out of this weekend is a clearer picture in your own head of how to make your life count by getting involved with the thing that God is doing in our time, in our generation. Alright, before we jump in, let me introduce you to my family, hopefully. Rusty, I may have to uh, get your help here. You may have to hit the buttons. Oops. Well, okay. No, go ahead. Yeah, there we go. Before we get to my family. <laughs> Um, this is the bad thing about PowerPoint. You've got to follow the, follow the rules. So uh, here's what we're going to be talking about. You've seen it on the brochure. Tonight we're actually going to talk about the Jesus that you never knew. So that's what we'll be talking about tonight. And then when we break up, you'll get a chance to ask questions and discuss it, and discuss it further. Tomorrow morning we're going to be looking at the call to follow that God has on each of our lives. And then we're going to wrap up tomorrow night with the big picture. How does it all fit into the bigger picture of what God is doing Alright, so this is my wife Cindy. We've been married for uh, 15 years. Um, I met Cindy when I was 20, she was 18. We got married when I had just turned 21 and she was 18. 
So we had a very short uh, courtship, but it's been awesome. It's been a great ride since then. Um, we've been in uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, North Carolina, and we're now up in Fort Lewis, Washington. We've been there the past two years. And th- we were sent out there with the NAVs to uh, help relaunch the ministry there at Fort Lewis, Washington. These are our four kids. Our daughter Hannah is about to turn 14. And then we've got uh, our 11-year-old Kai on the right there. And then Ethan, you can see his personality. He's our seven-year-old in the middle. And our youngest, Jackson. So I wish they could all be here, but uh, plane tickets are really expensive. I didn't figure Rusty would want to pay two grand to get us down here. All right, so the Jesus that we never knew. Let me tell you a little bit about my own story, just by way of uh, introducing. All right, so the Jesus that we never knew. Let me tell you a little bit about my own story, just by way of uh, introducing this topic. Um, I grew up in what's commonly referred to as the Bible Belt. So if you had asked me at the age of 19, 20 years of age, are you a Christian? I would have said, yes, I'm 100% sure that I am a Christian. Then if you had asked me, well, if you die, are you going to go to heaven or hell? I would have been a little less certain, but I was pretty sure that I would go to heaven. And my reasoning was that I was probably like a C minus, a D plus student uh, as far as God was concerned. I knew I was not on the honor roll. There was a lot of people out there who were more devoted, uh, more spiritual, more religious, just better people than me. But there were a lot of dirtbags out there that uh, I knew that I wasn't as bad as these guys. So I figured that while God was handing out the awards for the honor students and kicking the other guys out of school, that I would just kind of drift through and I'd make it into heaven. That was kind of my reasoning. If you'd asked me a third question, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? I would have said, no, I'm not a disciple. Because uh, I think instinctively I knew that a disciple was someone who was actually following Jesus. They they were in motion. Um, I had just heard some things about Jesus, and they sounded good to me. Uh, I agreed with them. I, I believed in everything that I'd been told about him. Um, and, and I've been told that if, the, if you did that, that's, that's what counts. You're in. And so I was happily moving through life just trying to be a pretty good person and uh, keeping busy with my own dreams and goals. I went off to school in my late teens up in Indiana uh, to study industrial machinery, which is what I got my degree in. And the first two three years were, were challenging. I think God was definitely doing some things in my life to prepare me for my third year. In my third year, I got a job uh, which was in my career field, which was great. I was making good money, and I was actually gaining experience in the thing that I was getting my degree in, which was great. It was going to help me for uh, when I graduated. Right about the time I got hired on with this company, another guy named Kevin Thompson got hired on. Kevin and I were the same age. We were both about 19. But Kevin was different than anyone I had ever met. Certainly different than anyone my age. Kevin was very uh, quiet. He was a very serious person. The uh, job I was working was 10 hours a day, uh, five days a week, Monday through Friday. And then I was going to class at uh, night. And they had this deal where you got a a 10-minute break in the morning, and you got a 10-minute break in the afternoon, and then you got a 20-minute lunch. Um, You could take a 30-minute lunch, but you had to deduct that from your 10 hours. If you took a 20-minute lunch, you could count the whole 10 hours. So everyone took 20-minute lunches. But that was kind of like, that's where you could decompress. You know, everyone wanted to really savor all 20 minutes of that lunch break and, and eat food. Um, and I would notice that Kevin would be over in the corner, and he would just kind of be reading some material. And I wasn't sure what it was. I figured the guy was either in the comic books and Dungeons and & Dragons, or he was religious. Because there were these real colorful booklets with like seven-headed dragons and some cool stuff going on. Kevin and I became friends, and he was newly married, so he began to invite me to come over to his house. I was off in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, which was about eight, nine hours from, from my family, so I didn't go home very often. So Kevin and his wife took me in, and they really fed me. We played video games. We, I didn't have a car at the time, so he would take me to the county fair. There were a lot of cool things that we did. We played volleyball. And I got to, to realize that 
that Kevin was a pretty cool guy. Kevin had some... Uh, he believed in God and his life showed it. Um, he was the first one that I'd seen who, who did that, who actually lived out what he believed. So he invited me to begin studying the Bible. And we did that. That was the, uh, the first time that I got into the Bible for myself. And I like to tell guys and girls now that if you get into the Bible, you have to know what you're getting into. You know, the Bible will change your life if you get in it and you stay in it. And that's, that's really what uh, began to happen for me. But Kevin had some, um, some different views on Jesus than what I had heard growing up in the South. In the South, we um, had a church pretty much on every corner. And we didn't have Boy Scouts in the small town that, that I'm from. We had a group called Royal Ambassadors. Anyone heard of Royal Ambassadors? I'm not sure exactly what they are, but they're like the Boy Scouts. Because I can remember going on camping trips, and we went fishing, and they would teach you stories from the Bible. And so most of the big stories in the Bible I was familiar with, the story of David and Goliath and the flood, um, the story of, of Jesus feeding the 5,000, of Jesus dying on the cross, um, and it was for our sins. Those were all things that I was exposed to growing up. And like I said before, I just accepted that that's the way it is. That's true. But Kevin had a, uh, a different view of Jesus. In, in, in Kevin's um, church, they taught that Jesus, though he was the Son of God, was not God himself. And there was no such thing as a trinity, which, of course, for me growing up, that's what I had heard. And so I knew that this was definitely new information. Because even though I hadn't necessarily checked it out for myself, I knew it was different from what I had heard um, as, a, as a kid growing up. And it really inspired me because my first reaction when I heard some of, this, some of these things that Kevin believed was to say, well, that's wrong, you know, because I've uh, grown up and I, I've heard some things growing up that made sense. So what I heard must have been right and, and Kevin must be wrong. But then I was having this conversation with myself that here was this guy who was very devout, who had actually studied... Um, to arrive at these, these convictions or these understandings. And here I was, I had never really studied the Bible. All my, infor- you know, all my information was second-hand, and my life certainly did not stack up to his in terms of sincerity and devotion. And it really motivated me to study the Bible for the first time and to ask myself, who does the Bible say Jesus is? And so Kevin and I would do Bible study, and then when he would leave, I would do my own Bible study, and I was praying and asking God to show me the answer to this one question, who is Jesus? And I told God, if you'll show me the answer to this question, then I'll give my life to you. you know, who, whoever you are, whoever Jesus is, uh, I want to be sincere about what I believe. And I want what I believe to actually match what the Bible says and what you've communicated. I realized that if I had been born in some other part of the world... Um, I would have a totally different view on who God was and who Jesus is. And it would just be based on what I've been told. So, so God really used that experience to motivate me to, uh, to seek Him firsthand. Alright, does this, this work? Go ahead and move forward if you would. Now this is nothing new. Jesus asked a couple of questions of His first disciples in Matthew 16. And we're going to look at these a, a little bit more here in a few minutes. But the two key questions out of Matthew 16 that Jesus asked His disciples, the first one was, who do people say that I am? Which is is pretty cool. People have always had a variety of interpretations about who Jesus is. And that was true even in Jesus' own time. So here He is asking His disciples, hey, what's the word on the street? You know, what are people saying about me? Uh, And so they, they gave Him these quick answers. Well, some say this, some say that. And then he asks this really piercing question, but who do you say that I am? Which is pretty awesome. Now, now guys, one of the things I want to hear you to hear this weekend is that your number one job in life is to figure out who Jesus Christ is and relate yourself properly to Him. That's your number one job in life, is to figure out who is Jesus 
And there's a lot of alternatives out there. There's a lot of different opinions about who Jesus is. It's always been that way. From the days when Jesus walked on the earth as a man, there were a variety of opinions about who he was. And so you and I, we need to figure out who is Jesus. And then, based on that, we need to get ourselves oriented properly towards him. Now that's your number one goal. Once you do that, God has some other goals for you, one of which is to be his representative and to communicate to others who Jesus is accurately and effectively. But obviously, if you don't know who he is and you're not already related to him properly, you can't go there. You can't represent him properly to others. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about representing him later this weekend, but tonight we're really going to focus on figuring out who Jesus is and then getting yourself properly related to him. Okay. Can you uh, move this forward? Now before, I I won't ask for a show of hands, but as I'm sharing, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Uh, You're thinking, well, I know who Jesus is. Uh, and I'm sure of it. I know who Jesus is. This message is, uh, some of you may have already checked out, you know, like, well, this message does not apply to me because uh, this guy obviously doesn't know me. I know who Jesus is. I'm convinced of it. I've checked it out. I grew up in church. Uh, but consider this. Consider this before you go there. And, and keep an open mind. Uh, you're going to have to hit the button for each of these. Check this out. Jesus' family thought he was crazy. Okay, this is in Mark 3. And by family, it it doesn't necessarily specify who they're talking about here, but we know it was his brothers, and it was probably his mother as well. Think about that. Mary, the one who gave birth to him, the one who an angel showed up to and told her, hey, this is... I mean, she knew he was special. She knew he was unique um, because it was the first and only virgin conception. She went to the temple and she had an elder woman and an older man uh, prophesy that this is a special baby. Uh, And yet, as an adult, as Jesus walked around Galilee and Judea and as he taught people about God, and as she watched him do the things that he was doing, somehow or another she got the idea that he was off his rocker and that he needed to be taken into custody for his own protection, for his own good. Uh, So they came to confiscate Jesus. That's not the right word. What's the word? When you abduct Jesus. They came to abduct Jesus because uh, they thought he, would, he had lost it. He, had over, he was overworked or something. Okay, go ahead. John the Baptist doubted him. John sent a message to Jesus while he was in prison asking him, are you the one or should we look for someone else? Now John was Jesus' cousin. For, he had known Jesus for over 30 years. John's whole mission in life was to prepare the way for Jesus. And yet he began to question, is Jesus who I thought he was? Uh, Jesus isn't fitting who I thought he was going to be. And he had uh, second guesses. We know from John chapter 7 that his own brothers did not believe in him. They thought that he was out out for popularity, uh, that he was a false prophet. Again, these were guys who had known Jesus probably 20 plus years. They knew Jesus in the flesh. Uh, They lived with him. They grew up with him. Go ahead, Rusty. His disciples misunderstood him. Now, this is after he had already died. They had spent three years with him. They're walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus shows up. They don't recognize him. And they're telling this stranger, they think, all about Jesus. If you remember what they said, they, they said, you know, he was a prophet, mighty indeed. And we had hoped that he was the Messiah, but... But he wasn't. So these guys did not understand. His closest followers did not understand who he was. And finally, the crowd itself was divided constantly. In fact, if you want to do just a study out of one chapter about the confusion that was out there about Jesus during his own time, just read and study John chapter 7. It's a fascinating chapter. In verse 12, I love verse 12. Verse 12 says that uh, the multitude was divided because of him. Some said, he is a good man. While others said, no, he leads the the multitude astray. He leads the people astray. Isn't that wild? Isn't that crazy? The crowd couldn't even decide if he was a good guy or a bad guy. 
We're not talking like, is he the Son of God or is he God in the flesh? Is he the Messiah? They couldn't even figure out, is, this, is, this, is he a good guy or is he a really bad guy who's leading the people astray? Now, I think we underestimate this whole idea of how divisive Jesus is and how confusing the, he was to the people of his own time. This verse in Isaiah 53, uh, this year, one of, the, one of the things I've done is I've memorized Isaiah 53, which is, which is a messianic uh, passage from the Old Testament. It's, it's amazing, if you read Isaiah 53, how it predicts a lot of the things that happened to Jesus. But check out how it describes Jesus in verse 2. It says, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him. Nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. The next verse talks about like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And we don't believe that. We don't believe that Jesus had no beauty. We don't believe that Jesus had nothing in his appearance to attract us to him. And I don't think he was just talking about his physical appearance. I just don't think Jesus stood out. Uh, and it, it's, a, it's a challenging thing to me to think that if I had lived during Jesus' earthly life, would I have recognized him? Or is my following Jesus a product of the culture that I've grown up in, the society that I've grown up in? Do I really know Jesus? Or am I just part of a society that claims to know Jesus? But I'll, I'll tell you this. If the people who lived with him for 30 years... And, and walked with him for three years, if the mother who gave birth to him, if the cousin whose whole mission in life was to tell others about him, if the people who saw him in the flesh and heard him in person had moments of doubt, then those of us who live 2,000 years later on the other side of the world in a completely different culture and age, you do not know Jesus. If you have a, ca- a casual second-hand understanding of Him. If your understanding of Jesus is based on a casual relationship with Him or second-hand information that you've learned about Him, you don't know Jesus. Not the Jesus of the Bible. Because the Jesus of the Bible will challenge you when it comes to understanding who He is. So, So keep an open mind tonight about who is Jesus? Do I really know Him the way I need to? Okay, what, what do we got next? Uh, here's the passage out of Matthew 16, 13-15. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Son of Man was just a description Jesus had for himself. They said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? What do we got next? Alright, just stay there for now. Okay, this is important. One of the things we've got to figure out is who is Jesus and what does it mean to belong to Him? A verse that God used to really challenge me when I was 19, 20 years old and wrestling with this whole idea of who is Jesus was Matthew 10, 32, and 33. Somebody here probably has those verses memorized. So I'm going to put someone on the spot. Matthew 10, 32, and 33. Anyone got those? says, Everyone therefore who will confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Now this is Jesus speaking to the people of his time and to us. So Jesus says, hey, if you want me to confess you before my Father in heaven, then you need to be confessing me before men here on earth. And anyone who denies me before men here on earth, you can be sure I'm going to deny you before my Father who is in heaven. Now here was my dilemma. I could not find myself in those two verses. I knew that I was not someone who was confessing Jesus before men, but I didn't see myself as someone who was denying Jesus before men. I was just kind of in neutral. Uh, I believed that Jesus was a good guy. But there's no neutral person in Matthew 10, 32, and 33. See what I'm saying? You're either someone who is confessing Jesus before men, or 
you're denying him before men. And as I wrestled with that, I realized that for me, my life was a denial of Jesus. Uh, certainly I was not confessing him. And there was nothing by my, about my lifestyle that would confess him. But there was a lot about my lifestyle that would deny Jesus. And so uh, I began to understand for the first time, for me personally, that I was not connected to Jesus the way I needed to be and the way I wanted to be. One of the first verses, in fact the first verse that I memorized when I got involved with the navigators at Fort Campbell was 1 John 5, 11, and 12. Anyone got that one memorized? Put you to, yes. That's right. Awesome, awesome verses. These are awesome verses. Uh, it says, this is the testimony, or this is the witness. I was talking to my kids about this. You know, what is testimony? Where is testimony given? It's, it's given in a courtroom. And testimony is given by witnesses. People who saw the truth and can speak to what really happened, what's really true. So this is the testimony. This is what's really true. This is what God wants us to know. We're going to see if it works. He wants us to know that this remote does not work. Go ahead, Rusty. The whole Bible is a testimony to tell us what God has given us. And what He has given us is eternal life. Okay, so the, so the Bible, those who wrote the Bible, the, the apostles, the prophets, they're all trying to bear witness. They're all trying to tell us what God is offering us. And God is offering us eternal life. But they go further than that. They tell us where this life can be found. And it's found in His Son. So God has given us eternal life. And this life is found in His Son. Finally, it tells us who has life. Only those who have the Son. Okay, so the whole Bible is about... God offering us eternal life and telling us about where this life can be found in His Son and only those who have the life are those who have the Son then there's two questions that should immediately come to my mind and the first one is do I have the Son? and that should be something that each of us is asking ourselves tonight do I have the Son of God? Because only those who have the Son have life. And the whole Bible is about this gift of life. So do I have the Son? And if I'm not sure, or I know the answer is no, what should the second question be? How do I get the Son? Yes! You guys are doing great. That's awesome. If you're not sure whether or not you have the Son, then what we're going to talk about tonight is a way of understanding what it means to have the Son. And who the Son is. Because that's really where we need to start. Who is this Son of God that First John is telling us about? Now, go ahead and hit the next slide. Who is Jesus? You want to try it? Oh, okay. Who is Jesus? I should have wrote, who is the Son of God? But uh, Acts 2.36, there are three words that are used more than any other in the New Testament to describe the Son of God, and they are these three. The Lord Jesus Christ. You'll see him over and over. Sometimes Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's just the Lord Jesus. Sometimes it's Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's Christ Jesus. Uh, but over and over and over throughout the New Testament, the Son of God is described as Lord, as Jesus, and as Christ. All right, uh, go ahead, Rusty. Uh, by the way, that's Acts 2.36. Could somebody read Acts 2.36 for us? Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Okay, so this is something that God wants all of us to know. Here he's talking about the house of Israel because that was his audience. But you could, you could just put, let everyone understand this, that God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now that's, that's pretty interesting. We're going to come back to that. Go ahead, Rusty. Now Matthew one twenty one is um, part of the vision that Mary received from the angel. Actually, Joseph was getting this vision 
um, about Jesus. And he says, uh, she will have a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he is the one who will save his people from their sins. And so, uh, so Jesus is the name of the Son of God. He has a name, just like you and I have names. The Son of God has a name, and His name is Jesus. Okay? Uh, by the way, yeah, is it working now? Okay. Our technical difficulties here. By the way, before I go any further, let me ask, you, let me ask this. Uh, how many folks in the room tonight are active duty? Alright, so quite a few, quite a few. Now, how many of you are recruiters? That's your job and your branch of service is to be a recruiter. None. No one's a recruiter here. <laughs> I think we've got all uh, Air Force and Army here, right? Is that correct? No Marines, no Navy? Okay, for those of you in the Air Force and the Army, if, if you had a friend back home who wanted to join the Air Force or the Army, how confident are you that you could explain to them the basics of, of how to join and the process of what it would look like, what it was going to take? How many of you guys do not think that you could do that? Feel like you could not describe the, the process? <laughs> okay, now for the rest of you, you're not recruiters. Why is it that you feel confident that you could describe to someone else what it would look like for them to join the Army or the Air Force? Anybody? You've been there, you've done that. That's right. Now, I find that a lot of people who are convinced that they're Christians, convinced they're followers of Jesus, feel very unsure about how to help someone else understand how to become a follower of Jesus. I ask a lot of times, I'll ask people, you know, how confident are you that you could clearly and accurately explain to someone else who Jesus is and how they can become his follower? And, and I find over half... I do not feel confident that they could describe to someone else in a very simple, clear way who Jesus is and what it takes to become his follower. Now that should not be, um, because if we've been there, if we've done that, then we should at least be able to describe our own experience. Well, this is what it looked like for me. Uh, this is who Jesus is. This is who I signed up to follow, to give the rest of my life to so uh, this little illustration, you can take notes, I can get you a copy of it. No, take notes, take notes. Um, take notes because this is just one way that you can think about it in your own mind and in your own life. Hey, is this something that describes what I've done? And it's also something that you can use to explain to someone else a little bit about who Jesus is and what it means to become his follower. So that, that's kind of what we're using this for tonight. So the Son of God is Jesus. That's His name. Oh, hold on. Hey, hey. John one twelve. Who's got John one twelve? Oh, come on. Someone's got John one twelve. But as many as received Him, to those who believed in His name, um, to them He gave the right to become the children of God. Yes. All right. That's what we're talking about. So uh, to all who received Him, that is to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Now that, that's what we want to become. We want to belong to Jesus. We want to have the Son. Uh, we want to be children of God. And it involves believing in the name of His Son and receiving His Son. Well, what does it mean to receive His Son? I'm going to submit to you tonight that the way that you receive the Son is by understanding who God has made Him or what God has made Him. And what does Acts 2.36 say about what God has made the Son? He's made Him both Lord and Christ. And so if you and I want to receive the Son of God, Jesus, we have to understand what God has made Him, and then we've got to receive Him based on that. And God has made Him both Lord and Christ. So how do we receive Jesus as Lord? Someone read for us Luke 6.46, or quote it if you've got it memorized. Yes, and Jesus was speaking here. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Now, what's he getting at there? 
apparently a lot of people were referring to him as Lord, even during his earthly life. But they weren't doing something else. Which, which was? Yeah, they weren't obeying. And Jesus had this, this pretty, I think, reasonable question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? And so the way that we receive Jesus as Lord is we submit to Him. And our problem, our problem is we have an independent spirit. Now, let me, let me use a story from my own life to illustrate what I think happens in a lot of people's lives on a spiritual level. I have never been in the service. Uh, I graduated from ITT with my degree. I was working outside of Fort Campbell, and I met the navigators there. My, my intent was to learn some things with the navigators and then go back into uh, just the civilian sector and help others the way I had been helped. The problem for me is that the only navigator ministry, well, which was the only ministry available to help me at the time in, in this place, was operating on post at Fort Campbell. And so as I was growing and involved with the navigators, it was with the Army, but I myself was a civilian. So one day I was uh, going to meet some guys that I had met at the uh, 20th Replacement, which is the uh, replacement in-processing the barracks there at Fort Campbell. Uh, <laughs> And uh, as, I was, uh, as I was walking, this was the day before cell phones. It's going to be hard for you guys, some of you guys to remember this. But I couldn't just call this guy. I had to literally drive to the replacement barracks and try to find this dude. And, of course, they all looked the same. This was about 4.30 in the afternoon. They had all just been released. There was probably like 100 soldiers out in the common area smoking, playing basketball, just kind of talking and uh, I'm, I'm walking towards these, these, this group of folks, and I'm trying to uh, think about how am I going to find this guy? What did he look like? Because I'd only met him once or twice. And uh, as I'm walking towards this group of folks, I, I gradually become aware that somebody is yelling, yelling loudly. And uh, as I'm getting closer, I realize they're yelling at me. And then in a flash, I remembered this sign that said, keep off the grass. And I realized that I just walked all the way across this lawn, like the long way, to get to this common area. And this first sergeant was yelling at me to get off his grass. Get off his grass is what he was telling me. I can still remember. Uh, and by this time, you know, most people that were close were, were watching, you know, to see what was going to happen here. Uh, and I, I looked up and I quickly, and, and they had the rank on the uh, lapels at those days on the collar. And uh, I saw that he was the first sergeant, so... Uh, I apologize. I'm sorry, First Sergeant. Uh, I just wasn't thinking. Now, if I push the pause on this story right now, and you put yourself in my shoes, and the First Sergeant says, sorry, he's not good enough, drop and start pushing. Now, what would you do if you were me? Not if you were you, but if you were me. I would totally say I'm not in the military. I'm sorry. I'm not doing that. That's right. That is right. Now, fortunately, he didn't say that. Uh, he just told me to remember to stay off his grass. Uh, so I didn't have to push. I didn't have to go through the whole explanation. But, yeah, I think I would have done the same thing. I would have tried to be very respectful. Uh, I am really sorry I walked on your grass. And I will not do it again. But I'm just here to see a friend. I'm actually not active duty. And I'm out of shape. I don't really want to do push-ups. I would have said something like that, you know. And what could he have done? What do you guys think? <laughs> yeah, he probably could have told me to get off, get off the premises. You know, that, that's probably the worst that could have happened was, well, listen, if you're not in these barracks, then you need to get out of here. But he could not make me do push-ups, I don't think. So that, w that, that would have been interesting. Okay, now wait a second. I called him first sergeant. I recognized uh, who he was in the army and his rank, his importance uh, in, in that setting. So uh, why am I not a, not, not a soldier? Why wouldn't I do push-ups? What do you guys think? What's the difference between me and you? If someone in your chain of command says, drop and push. Yes, that's right. And maybe even beyond the oath of enlistment, I've never really gotten to that place in my own mind where I have surrendered myself to obey whoever the army puts over me, 
whoever that is. There is no debate within your head. Uh, should I do the push-ups? Should I not? Uh, I mean, you just do the push-ups. Because you already decided that a month ago, maybe years ago. You already had that conversation with yourself. But here's what a lot of people do with Jesus. Uh, they have, every time Jesus tells them to do something, they decide whether or not they're going to obey. They decide whether or not they're going to do push-ups on that day. Or whatever it is that Jesus wants them to do. And I would submit to you that if that kind of describes your relationship with Jesus, you might be one of the people he was talking about in Luke 6.46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? Now, the solution, which we've already kind of alluded to, is submission. That's what Jesus expects. God made him Lord. Uh, God gave him authority. We're going to look at another verse later this weekend where Jesus says, All authority has been given to me on earth and in heaven. Uh, The Bible tells us that there's going to come a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. For those of us who are in this room tonight, we get the chance to do it now before it's too late. There's going to come a day where everyone acknowledges that Jesus is Lord. But that doesn't mean everyone's on Jesus' team. Uh, You and I get a chance to get on Jesus' team now while we have the opportunity and before it's too late. But everyone is going to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. The problem is an independent spirit and the solution is to give yourself to Jesus. Now, what does it take if you are... And, and what do they call this? Uh, inferior doesn't sound right, but maybe that's right. Uh, if you're under a chain of command in the military, well, which one? Subordinate. subordinate. If you're a subordinate and uh, you're in your chain of command, what makes for a good relationship with your chain of command? What, what do you think? Not from their point of view, but from your point of view. What do you need to do to have a good relationship with your chain of command? Within reason, I mean... Follow the commands. Understand the rules. rules. Probably pay attention to uh, what the chain of command wants to accomplish at any given time. If if, uh, they're out on a training exercise, what are the objectives, what what is expected of you. Basically, know what it is that your chain of command thinks is important, and then be available to help accomplish the mission. You know, Jesus is not so different than what you already understand about authority and relating to authority in a positive way. Jesus wants you to understand what's important to Him, and He wants you to be completely available to help Him accomplish what's important to Him. Not necessarily to me, but to Him. If I don't pay attention, if I'm never listening, and, and uh, if I'm d- totally disinterested in what my spiritual chain of command uh, wants to communicate, probably not going to be a good relationship. Or if I know, but I just don't want to make myself available to Jesus, that's probably not going to be a good relationship. So uh, let me challenge you tonight. Think about, has there ever been a time where you knowingly surrendered yourself to Jesus Christ to be His follower? You know, whatever it cost, wherever it led, is that, is that a conversation that you've already had and you've already settled? So, so that when it's clear that God wants you to do something, you do it. And for some of you tonight, that's a conversation you haven't had yet. Um, but you can have it tonight. And uh, if you want to, you can have that conversation with Jesus tonight. And you can become His follower. You can make yourself available to Him. Now, how many of you guys thought for a little while before you signed up? Okay. Probably most of you, at least. How many of you guys just went down on a whim? Every now and then I meet a guy that did that. Yeah, so there's a few. Just decided, hey, I'm going to do this. Now, for those of you who thought, I can't, you other guys, you're not going to help me here. But for those of you who thought about it, you know, why did you think about it for a little while? Why didn't you just go down and do it? It's a big decision, right? And why is that? Yeah. There's a high cost, and even if it doesn't cost you your life, it's, it's going to cost you the next three or four years. I mean, it's one of those things where you can't just go down the next week and, oops, change my mind. Uh, 
So we think about it because you're kind of surrendering several years of your life by taking this step. Well, guys, this is a lifelong commitment that you're making here. So don't take it lightly. Don't do it lightly. Think about what, what the consequences are going to be. If you become a follower of Jesus, uh, it's from here until the end of your life. So don't take it lightly. Don't, uh, don't just do it on a whim because uh, God's going to hold you to that commitment. All right, that's Lord. So this is the Son of God. His name is Jesus. But God has made Him Lord, and the way we receive Him, part of that is by recognizing who He is, His title, Lord, and submitting to that. But the other word is Christ. Now this is the same word for Messiah. And uh, for, for the Jews, uh, the Messiah was a very important figure. Anyone know what the, the word Messiah actually means? The one to come? Yes. The anointed one. That's, that's, the, that's the literal meaning, which for us we're like, well, okay, anointed one. Well, what does that mean? Uh, but for, for Jewish people, the anointed one, it was very clear to them because of their um, culture, because of their history, because of their scriptures, uh, who the anoint, what that signified. That Jesus, that this, that this coming leader was the anointed one. There were only two types of people in the Jewish society who got anointed. Do you guys remember who they were? Someone said something. Okay, the priests. The priests would be anointed, and, and they'd be anointed with oil. And I'm, just, I'm reading this actually in my uh, daily devotions right now. They would put oil on uh, their right earlobe, and on their right thumb, and on their right big toe. I'm not sure what that meant. But that was anointed. And then they put the rest of the oil on their head. And, and that was a sign that God was with this person, that this person had a special commission from God to represent the people as a priest, as a spiritual leader. Okay, but there was another type of person who was anointed. Kings. Kings were anointed. And so uh, when the Jewish people were looking forward to the Messiah or the Christ, they were expecting this amazing spiritual and political leader. He was going to be the ultimate leader who was going to save them, not just spiritually, but uh, politically. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus was such a disappointment. He was such a letdown. Because he did not save them politically the way they expected. Nor did he fit their idea of spirituality and religion. So Jesus was rejected by the people of his time. They did not recognize him as the Messiah, even though he really was. So Jesus is the Messiah. He was then. He is now. What does it mean to receive Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah? Mark uh, 2.17. Jesus says that he did not come uh, to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And this is after saying that it, it isn't the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now, uh, our problem here is sin. Now, this is probably a word that you've all heard before, but I find that many people have a hard time defining what sin is and why it's such a big deal uh, to God. But uh, all of us have sin. And sin is that part in us that does not reflect God's image. All of us are made in the image of God, but all of us have a distorted image. There's, there's stuff in us that does not reflect God. In fact, it's repulsive to Him. It's, uh, it's abhorrent to Him. He cannot look on it with favor. That part of our lives. So sin has to be dealt with. Uh, we need a leader who is strong enough and able to deal with this problem of sin. It's not something that you and I can get rid of. And Jesus did that. Look up Colossians chapter 2, if someone would, and read for us nice and loud verses 13 through 15. Yes, and what this tells us is that when God finds us, spiritually speaking, we're dead. 
And it says that we're dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses and in our sins. But God can make you alive together with Jesus. And He does that by nailing all of that bad stuff or all the stuff that does not reflect His image. He puts that on the cross. That's why Jesus died. But if you don't know that you have a need, or if you don't believe that you have a need, then a Savior isn't that important to you. Uh, You can have a, a terminal sickness, but if you don't know you have it, or you're just in denial, you don't believe you have it, you're probably not going to worry about seeing a doctor or changing your lifestyle. Uh, and it's the same way spiritually. All of us, the Bible says, have this terminal sickness, spiritually speaking, and it's sin. And the only one who has the ability to cure us and to bring us to life is Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. He's the chosen one that God has sent to be our Savior. I mean, that's what the Messiah was going to do. He was going to save his people from their sins. Going back to Matthew 1.21. All right. We're about to break up into our discussion groups, but let's look at the end of the story here in Matthew 16. After Jesus has asked uh, his disciples, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter speaks up. And he says, uh, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That is an amazing statement. Jesus said that flesh and blood had not revealed to Peter who Jesus was. I mean, do you realize what Jesus is saying there? If flesh and blood had not revealed to Simon Peter who Jesus was, who did that include? Jesus. Jesus had not revealed to Peter who he really was. The Father was the one who had to open Peter's mind and his understanding to see who Jesus is. And I think it's true for us too. Let me just say this. Uh, What we've just talked about is a way of helping communicate to others who Jesus is, and how they can become related to Him. But telling people about Jesus is never a substitute for introducing people to Jesus. Let me just say that again. Telling people about Jesus is never a substitute for introducing people to Jesus. Because we can tell people about Jesus all day. Uh, If we don't introduce them to them, uh, to Jesus they're not going to be in a position to have the Father reveal who Jesus is. And so tomorrow we're going to talk in the morning about how do we introduce people to Jesus. Or, if you're on the front end, how you can begin to get to know Jesus. Tonight we kind of talked about the need to do that. Tomorrow morning we'll talk a little bit more about how you can do it, how you can help others spend time with Jesus so that they truly begin to get to know who Jesus is. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You can help us reach more people by going to iTunes, subscribing, and leaving a review. And if you like what we're doing here, tell a friend about us. In an age of social media, word of mouth is still the most powerful way to spread the message.